uh, a lot of ground, uh, at least for me anyway, over the last two days. Uh, and I've only received from our faculty, shock me, a handful of actual questions, like they ever follow instructions anyway. Um, but uh, I think some common themes have cropped up just in discussions uh, here and there, and we sat down and, and sorted through a few things. So I'll, uh, uh, I'll throw things out maybe that are more general or specific to um, uh, Seleska and Okamoto here. And uh, one question that came up in the breakout sessions with uh, regard to Dr. Seleska's presentation is uh, this one. What evidences or criteria, I guess, are permissible for discerning intentionality in authorship and meaning. You got that? So what I'm evidences not. are permissible? What do, you, what, what do you admit is evidence for discerning intentionality in authorship and meaning, or the author's meaning? Well, sure. I mean, at any given time, I'll, I'll answer it in general, and then I can maybe give a quick specific example. Um, at any time in history, you know, within the um, different communities that we are parts of, there are kind of established standards of evidence, things that count, that are persuasive with people. I mean, um, when we um, learn a certain language, for example, we have all kinds of ways that are kind of mutual, um, mutually known of ways to communicate what we mean. Uh, a concrete example of how we would do this um, is basically, I'll give it as the first verse of the Bible, okay? I don't want to talk too long here. But Bereshit bara Elohim, all right? Now, grammatical, one of the grammatical facts that the dominant interpretation of that verse is that Bereshit is a construct form, followed by a verb, which is um, not that common in Hebrew, but it does occur. So, uh, it can be translated in uh, the beginning of God's creating the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. So that uh, it's possible to translate it, when God created the heavens and earth, comma, the earth was without form and void. All right? Um, now that's going to grate on a lot of us because that's part of an argument then for the idea that the Bible, um, the first act of creation was actually verse 3 that when God created, he's dealing with pre-existent matter or, or uh, chaos. That sounds an awful lot like uh, ancient Near Eastern creation myth, all right? And so, dominant interpretation would be to read the creation account out of the um, background of ancient Near Eastern myth and to see it as part of that, to read the passage and to interpret the passage like that. Notice that they give grammatical facts, literary facts, um, uh, historical facts, all those kinds of things to support that argument. Now, what am I going to do? First of all, I'm going to say that um, Bereshit does not always occur in construct. There are two or three, depending on how you look at it, four or five other places where Bereshit is in absolute form. All right? So notice that the first thing I'm going to do is undercut one grammatical fact and try to replace it with another. Um, the fact is that the Septuagint, um, other, tra other um, translations of the text, um, take it as an absolute and translate it like that. So in the history of interpretation, both Christian and Jewish, you um, 
see an indication that people understood the text as, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all right? Um, I would look then at uh, other scriptural texts as well, see? And um, uh, notice that behind that belief is my belief that Moses is the author of this passage, that, uh, you know, I have certain understandings of who God is. So notice I use grammatical facts, historical facts, contextual facts as well as evidence to, um, to put forth a different interpretation. Now, that doesn't mean that people on their side are going to be convinced by my argument, see? Um, but notice that a case can be made, and we make the case with evidence that other people that we all kind of have understandings counts as evidence, See, um, and uh, it's going to be seen by some as very plausible, by others now you're just being ridiculous, all right? Um, and, you know, for reasons that I talked about uh, in my paper. But that's kind of how the debates have always gone, see? So notice that when something is really knocking at us, pressing us, we use whatever evidence is at hand to try to put forth a counterargument, okay? So... So there's, there's not kind of one answer to that question. And what counts as evidence sometimes can change in a field of study uh, as well, as, as we all know. Well, I don't know, Tim, should I ask? It sounds like all we have is the power of persuasion. Who's more persuasive? That's what uh, we do. We present arguments, we debate, and we, I mean, that's, I'm just kind of describing how the process goes someone so that we are always um, arguing against the descriptions that someone else has trying to re-describe um, what we see as the truth and the correct interpretation okay. so we're always trying to yeah we're, so and what plays into being persuasive you know there's authority issues sure. uh, and all those kinds of things well it, it kind of leads to a, a, a question I've heard uh, in several contexts, uh, walking around and, and discussing things. And I'll, I'll pretend you're sitting in uh, Dr. Nagel's class, and you, you get your exam handed to you, and the slip of paper that's this big, of course, says, Sola Scriptura. Now, if you've had Dr. Nagel, you know what I'm talking about, but, but there you go. Sola Scriptura. Discuss. Scripture alone, period. Actually, you're wrong because it's an, it's an ablative, I'll remind you. Okay. The, uh, the, the term itself, or I'm not going to take the, uh, I'm, I'm going to step out of the uh, Nagel classroom because I can. And uh, <laughs> it's a slogan we're using. And uh, I mean, I've heard the question too a couple of times. So let me say, how about this? I'll, I'll, cut, I'll, I'll go to the concern I think I hear. Uh, what we're trying to do, I think what Tim was trying to advance, especially, no, see, you're my, you're my friend, is uh, a way to understand uh, sola scriptura, to understand uh, what it means for the scriptures to be the rule and norm, the ultimate rule and norm for our our faith in life, uh, but by but recognizing also that people can read the scriptures and come to very different conclusions uh, about it, 
And that's the phenomenon that is, is so uh, troubling. Uh, what Tim offered was a way to understand how people can read the same thing and come to very different conclusions. And the conclusions themselves are not uh, based especially on, uh, or the differences are not accounted for simply by mistakes or uh, lack of diligence or uh, a definite agenda and not paying attention to the text or trying to be faithful. Uh, it's that kind of phenomenon which makes it difficult. It sounds like it makes it difficult to sustain uh, what is often understood as uh, following Scripture alone. And uh, what Tim brought out, I thought, very clearly was you, the Bible is clear. That's the problem. The Bible is clear to people, and they come to different conclusions. That's a problem. Uh, and so we can't use sola scriptura to trump another interpretation in some cases. Uh, well, now what do we do? And, uh, but if, we don't, if you don't perceive that, if you don't understand that kind of situation, we're talking to that kind of situation, it can look like, I think, uh, leading to perhaps uh, relativism at the extreme. You know, how can you discern between different interpretations? Do you have any right to do so? Uh, but... Uh, if I had to listen, if I had to think through uh, how I've heard the question, uh, I think I would go there. So it's an attempt here to make clearer what we're up to when we claim uh, to, to uh, have Scripture alone as rule and norm. I don't know if I did justice to you, but you're welcome anyway. <laughs> Whenever Joel says I do anything good, I feel pretty good about that because it's kind of rare. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, Joel, uh, I can ask you this since you're the systems guy, that um, sola scriptura was put in opposition to the belief that scripture and other tradition or human reason were, should be kind of treated as of equal authority as rules and norms, so that sola scriptura was a way of saying of kind of arguing against, I don't know if arguing is too strong a word, but making a stance against that, taking a position against that, not, um, uh, as I try to show when we were talking about the rule of faith, not the position that some say that you need, a, that, you know, the early church interpreted the scripture within this theological framework. No, it's only scripture alone. Um, bare scripture, as Joel's described it, described it to me, so that um, you just throw the book out there and that's, you don't need any other context within which to interpret it, see? So, if, if, so that would be, I would say, a misunderstanding of what sola scriptura was and how you were supposed to think about it. I don't know if that helps either, but. Well, before I give it to David, let me, let me ask, address this to David, because I, saw, I find it sort of ironic that we are a Lutheran church that asserts the sola scriptura, but when we publish a Bible, it has to have notes. <laughs> and, we, and we produce a study guide to the study to, Bible. To, give, to understand the notes, right. Um, well, I think we're... <laughs> part of it... I, I mean, I think part of it is is a cultural phenomenon of the study Bible sure. and individualism, 
and wanting to read outside of community. And so the study Bible creates a artificial community that many people delight in the fact that it can't talk back. So you're not in conversation, real dialogue. You're in um, some type of artificial relationship with very small snippets of statements taken out of historical context. So you don't even hear the conversations in the church that were going on that led to God's work through that pastor or theologian to confess the faith in that way at that time. And, and I just would, uh, I think I would rather have people approach the, uh, you know, instead of seeing the study Bible as something that could take you into your own little private room where you can have a very private and personal experience with God, I would rather have people see the study Bible as opening the door into a community that has a lively conversation that is not limited to your time and your place so that your that, that, that that's, those resources there actually become avenues of entering into conversations you may never have thought you would have ever had with Augustine or Chrysostom or whatever, so that, so that rather than use it to, to, to separate yourself from community, you, you use it to bring yourself into a community where this word is being spoken and God is using this word among these people, and that's actually what brings them together. Otherwise, you would have no reason to be with this individual speaking over this thing. That's kind of how I would think it could be used. I'm afraid, unfortunately, that, that I'm not sure that's the way people would approach it based on our cultural understanding of study Bibles and what their purpose is. It's almost as if, you know, now I don't need the pastor, I don't need the church because I've got this Bible and it can help me understand what is unclear. Right. Uh, you know. Well, Professor Fowley, um, the, the topic was simply Sola Scriptura, and if you have any thoughts you'd like to uh, address to the topic. I, I, well, though addressed in such a way that I can only fail to do a good job with it. Um, Yeah, if it, it, if it means sort of bare scripture, how would, I mean, I, I think that can't be what it means because you would never know that you'd achieved that, even if you just opened the book because, of course, it's, uh, you're bringing all sorts of things with you. Um, I'm not a Lutheran, and I, I, I guess I just don't have a huge commitment to that way of thinking about it. I'm, I'm sorry, I wish I could generate more energy around around it. Um, it obviously, it, if, it's, if it's a corrective to um, distorted readings of scripture, that might be helpful, but uh, it's just one of those areas where I, I've been formed by my own tradition to think in a different way, and it's, it's, it's hard for me to generate, to figure out why I, I should have a, a strong view of this. So I'm sorry I can't say much more okay. that would no, be fair helpful. Enough. Fair enough. Okay. Um, let's see what time we got here.
These are kind of related questions, but I'll, I'll throw this one out. Um, I want to be able to tell somebody, thus saith the Lord. How do we say that? I mean, if you want to say that, you have to be God, I assume. But uh, I, I, you may be seeking a sort of confidence that, or a, a sort of authority that an individual doesn't really have. I, I'm, I, I presume the question is really about the confidence one can bring to their interpretation and, and proclamation of that yeah, interpretation. Yeah, I, I that's what right? it is. Right. So, right. so it's, um, you know, be confident. Be confident, preach boldly, and also be humble enough to know that when you said, thus says the Lord, you may have to go back and rethink that um, down the road. The... If you're saying that as a way of ruling out further thinking, further discussion, further learning, then that can't be a good thing. Um, but if you say it as this is where I'm, this is where I am right now, and I have good reasons for being here, and um, what I'm doing is in line with what the church has taught and believed, and it, and it's generating faithful practice and worship. That's great. I've, I don't, I don't see what m- more you get by then just saying, thus says the Lord. Um, and so I, I, it, it, my only worry about that then is that you're shutting down further thinking, praying, and, uh, and then potential uh, repentance. Okay. Yeah, I would just, I think I would agree with that. It's, if it's a conversation stopper, yeah. or that's a problem, or it can be a, a real problem. Uh, or if it's as if my word, because, well, it, it's a way of asserting your own infallibility, that, that could be a problem. Uh, on the other hand, I'm not sure where this question is generated from, but uh, we're not attempting to uh, engender confusion or uncertainty or lack of confidence. Uh, humility is one thing, but lack of confidence is another actually it's i think hoping to see why we should have confidence when we're in what we're doing and having good reason for thinking that we're actually following the lord being faithful doing what we're supposed to do i just uh if you remember the quote at the end of my paper from luther i mean joel's comment about humility uh remember martin luther had that kind of reminder to be humble in what we do and then he said i may not ever know if I get get what the uh, scriptures have in mind, what their intent was quite right, but I know that what I say is going to be orthodox. And I think by that he meant what uh, Dr. File just said, that, hey, this is in line with what the church has proclaimed the scriptures teach about the gospel. And um, when I preach and teach and speak... Um, in line with that, I can be confident that um, this is the truth that I want to proclaim for people. And I think that's a nice balance between humility. So on the one hand, notice in the statement, he's, humi- he's humble and yet he's very confident, see? 
And uh, I think that uh, that kind of captures um, maybe the, the way that we should think about how we preach and teach. Okay. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's a huge amount of uh, uh, thoughts and questions that have been generated uh, over these two days, uh, uh, myself especially. Uh, uh, it's all sort of a blur and, and lots of things floating around my mind. But I think that's uh, part of what our goal here is, is to, to force us again to reconsider uh, how we use the scriptures and to drive us to ever more faithfulness uh, to the word and to uh, the word testified by that word and uh, uh, to do that among God's people faithfully and uh, consistently. Um, uh, I do want to express a word of thanks for you, uh, to you for, to coming, uh, for coming. Uh, uh, i got to say, as a, as a professor, I've been here a little while anyway, it's great to see you guys uh, back and uh, to hear your joys and sometimes struggles in the ministry and uh, that you're still at it and plugging away. And, and I just want you to know that you're always welcome here. And uh, 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 consider you partners uh, in the work uh, that we do here, and uh, uh, look forward to continuing to work with you uh, in in the service to the gospel. 